Welcome back to Random Trek, the podcast in which I, your host, Scott McNulty, discuss a random episode of Star Trek with a non-random guest. I am joined uh, by yet another in my cavalcade of repeat guests because I'm resurrecting the podcast and I can't think of anyone better to resurrect things with than Dan Martin. Uh, there was a question mark at the end there, Scott. I'm not sure how I feel about that. Well, I don't know where I was going with that. Well, so. I'll tell you. I'll tell you where you're going with that. The name of my first novel when I was mm. when I was working on it, the working title was Resurrection Men. So there you go. Nothing I better did, than to resurrect this with me. I did know that, uh, but then as I said it, I thought I don't know if Dan wants people to know that for some <laughs> reason, and so I didn't want to bring it up. That's not some really. It's a deep cut. Let me put it that way. <laughs> Uh, b- before we uh, continue on to this, this creepy uh, vein that I have brought us to, uh, tell the people a little bit about yourself, Dan. I'm sure people who are listening probably are familiar with you. But, uh, who are, who are the people listening to this who don't know me? Well, if you don't, if you're one of those people who, who don't know me, uh, like Scott, uh, I have uh, been on The Incomparable for a really long time. I am on a bunch of podcasts here, including Biff, a show about superhero TV shows, movies, and other stuff. I also co-host Not Playing with Lex and Dan with, weirdly enough, Lex Friedman. What? I know. Uh, a show in which we watch movies that like most people have seen, but we have not. I am also the host of Inconceivable, one of our game shows. And I have a sideline in other things like writing novels. I've written three <laughs> sci-fi novels, uh, the Galactic Cold War series, which you can find out more about at dmorin.com. Ooh. I recommend... You check them out. Now, Dan, we have spoken about Star Trek on numerous occasions, both mm-hmm. for podcasts and uh, for non-podcast conversations. Uh, whatever that is. Uh, I don't know. Um, and I'm not sure, although uh, I'm sure someone can correct me if we have spoken about this before. But I don't know if I know what you think about Klingons, because mm. the episode that we have watched uh, is a Deep Space Nine episode, Sons and Daughters, uh, season six, episode three, uh, Klingon Heavy. Klingon heavy. I'm not always the biggest fan of the Klingon episodes because I do feel like yeah, sometimes I worry the Klingon culture is just a little too uh, trite. I mean, it's very, it's very Viking, you know, warrior heavy thing, and I sometimes find that a little tiresome. Um, I like the ones where they put a spin on it. For example, uh, you know, there's a so uh, my wife and I have been rewatching a bunch of Deep Space Nine, hmm. and there's an episode where uh, uh, Quark ends up having to <laughs> uh, like run a Klingon house. That's a funny episode because it involves a fish out of water and putting a twist on the whole Klingon thing. But I think when it's done a little too seriously, it sometimes gets uh, somewhat laborious and. You know, even the more recent takes in some like Star Trek Discovery and stuff like that have have suffered from that a bit. Um, mm. sub, subtitle disease, for example. <laughs> I'm not thrilled about Klingon episodes, but uh, if you can do something interesting with it, sure, I'll, I'll, I'll give it a watch. Oh, well, then we'll see if they did something interesting with it on this episode, uh, Sons and Daughters. Um I, it's kind of interesting, I guess. I will say, here's a big spoiler. Uh, Alexander Roshenko does not die. And, uh, well, I guess Alexander Roshenko being in it is also a slight spoiler, but he's <gasps> in the teaser, so who cares? Um, and I will admit, I've seen this episode because I've seen Deep Space Nine multiple times. Uh, I had no memory of this episode, and I was uh, thinking, oh, he's going to die because, you know, he's kind I of had a the, screw I up. I had the same thought. <laughs> <laughs> and he doesn't. So I was, I was 
surprised by the fact that he he didn't die. Uh, he locked himself in a closet, but yeah. he didn't there, die. I believe there is literally, I, in my research looking at this, because I did not remember, there's an episode where he comes back from the future to see himself as a kid. I think it's a TNG episode. Oh, yes, that's and true. And I was like, oh, so, so I guess, I guess he technically die. he can't die. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He is safe. He can do whatever he wants. Yeah, he's invincible. <laughs> And uh, so recently, well, maybe not so recently, I, uh, within the last 20 months, have become a father. And so uh, I thought to myself, Worf, you're awful. (laughs) (laughs) He's not great. He's not great at the father thing. I mean, again, I've watched most of, if not all of TNG over, you know, sort of patchwork. Uh, He's not a great father in that either. Most most, Most of his attempts at fathering in that are pretty bad. It's not his, it's not his bag. It's not his bag. And, uh, and I, well, you know, to be fair to Worf, uh, I don't think anyone knows how to be a father until you are a father and then you try to figure it out. But uh, it seems like his, his solution to fatherhood, uh, which, you know, there is a traumatic event in, in their family's past. Oh, well, several traumatic events, actually. Uh, and so, but his solution seemingly is, uh, ship Alexander Ryshenko off to Earth with his grand, his adopted parents, uh, and never think of him again. <laughs> Yeah, uh, again, abandonment. Well, a popular trope in fiction, I think, is just not a generally a good parenting strategy. <laughs> no. I, I'm not a parent, uh, but I, you know, I, I don't think it'd be my go-to move, is what I'm saying. No, it's it's not great, but uh, I assume. I, I, maybe I should try it myself. Yeah, and don't don't knock it until you tried it. <laughs> let, let me put it this way, Scott. You've got two kids. You've got twins. This is the ideal way. You send one of them true. away, and then you can test. You have an, you have an AB here. That's right. I'll, send my, uh, I'll keep my favorite one and there send the one I don't like That's away right. uh, for five years and not even talk to them, uh, which is apparently what we find out about uh, with Alexander and Worf, uh, which seems uh, not great. And it's also not really clear to me we're skipping uh, to the the root of the episode. I think why Alexander is on this ship. Why has he? He's not very good at this job. I guess he just feels yeah, like that's he a wants good to point. prove himself to us. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. Except he talks about not not caring what his. I mean, you know, we've all done that. We go, I don't care mm-hmm. what you think, right? To our parents, <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, I think that's a pretty universal thing. And secretly, we secret, you know, really, really do care. Um, but yeah, he's not very good at this he's not super invested in it it seems weird that he'd show up and just be like this is my life now i'm here to prove myself yeah exactly (laughs) and especially when he's like making he's all pointed about like i don't have a father like i don't have a house but but, but that guy's your father (laughs) yeah but not really i i have to say the interesting thing to me about this episode is it is unusual i think this is something the the luxury that ds9 gets as opposed to some of the other um star trek franchises is that this is an episode that unusually focuses on two side characters as two of its sort of major uh, mm-hmm. plot drivers which i think it's it's harder to do in something like tng or enterprise or voyager where it's like you know, maybe voyager where you have kind of the same crew but like maybe there are other characters i mean like tng did like uh lower decks right like mm-hmm. and like every once in a while you get a barkley episode or something um but this episode like we have a bunch of the main cast who are basically there to like show up and, and collect their paycheck for being in one scene <laughs> like <laughs> julian and miles show up for one scene at the beginning i was like ah oh, julian and miles have some banter oh we never see them again odo and yep. jake and quark all show up nope they're there for one scene <laughs> contractually obligated yeah exactly uh had to collect their union dues or something i don't know but 
Yeah, I, and like the the primary you people in this episode, I mean, you got Worf and you got Kira, and mm-hmm. then you have Martok and Alexander on the Klingon ship, and you have Tukat and Zial on the station. Mm-hmm. Um, and I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I will watch Gul Dukat in any episode <laughs> of anything. Cause he just, I mean, oh, if he showed Gul up in Dukat. Law & Order, I would watch that. I don't watch Law & Order. <laughs> He would have to be in his makeup and his Gul Dukat, his Cardassian. Yes. Yeah, Law and Order, Cardassia Prime. I would, I would watch that show. Exactly, yeah, because I, it's Gul Dukat. <laughs> Gul Dukat is one of my favorite characters on Deep Space Nine, and I always feel a little guilty about that, because he's horrible. He's and terrible, he's horrible in this he's episode. such a good character. <laughs> and, and, and it is it is a joy. And when I saw Jake, because as I said earlier, I don't remember this episode, I thought, oh, well, he's a son of Cisco. And, you know, Deep Space Nine is interesting in the pantheon of Star Trek because of that family connection, right? So we see a father and son relationship yeah. and explore it. So I'm sure he's going to be, uh, you know, important. And Quark, uh, oh, wait, actually, it's Nog, Nog is uh, Rom's son, so never mind. But uh, so I thought Jake clearly is one of the sons and daughters in this episode. And he is not. He's just like, uh, count me in on your plan to, because uh, at this point, Deep Space Nine yeah, is yeah. Uh, occupied by the Cardassians. And so Odo and, and Kira are not happy about it, and they're plotting. And Jake is like, hey, count me in. And they say, no. <laughs> <laughs> and then Quark tries to hire him as a waiter. Uh, exactly. Yeah, it's also weird, as you point out, this is the middle of like a, I think it's like a six episode. It's the like occupation arc, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's also strange because I had, I, though I've seen this and I'm familiar with the arcs, just starting off and like jumping into it. And I'm like, why is why is Cisco on a Klingon ship? Yeah, what, what is, is happening? Yeah, like it's definitely again, which is rare. I feel like you know you pick up an episode of TNG, and with mm-hmm. rare exceptions, unless you're watching, you know, uh, uh, Best of Both Worlds Part Two or something, you're <laughs> why like, is he bored? <laughs> you're like, oh yeah, these characters here, that characters there, fine, whatever. Um, so there was a little. Uh, I had to like get my bearings for a little bit, but mm-hmm. it turns out to not be very important because again, Cisco also only in like one yep. scene. He's like, see you later. Uh, Bet you Martok, some do you like to bet? Yeah, <laughs> I'm out of here. That's it. Goodbye. And that is, you know, the the strength and one of the weaknesses of of Deep Space Nine. Uh, Well, maybe not weaknesses. At the time, I think it was seen as a weakness. I think now everyone clearly says the strength is it's highly serialized, right? So one of the problems, though, is you drop into one of these episodes and you think, I have no idea why Worf is on this ship. I mean, he's a Klingon, but it doesn't really make any sense uh, from what I know. And why is Julian and Chief O'Brien there? What what is going on? I I had entirely forgotten about him being uh, Worf ending up in in the House of Martok. Like, Mm -hmm. I... Because, like like I said, we've been actually rewatching DS9, but we're back in, like, season four, I think. So... You know, at that point, Worf is still like an outcast and, mm-hmm. you know, all that jazz. And like also this episode opens with him and Dax, uh, you know, oh, being so very familiar. And I'm like, oh, yeah, I, I, I mean, I totally remember that happens and I remember what happens to Dax. <laughs> uh, but at the same time, I was also like, it, it just kind of throw you in the deep end. They're like, oh, yeah, OK, I guess we're in that part of the show. <laughs> That's right. And then Dax uh, leaves as well. <laughs> yep, that's right. All the regulars. I mean, it's, yeah, pretty much except for Worf and Kira. Everybody else gets one scene this week. Everybody says, see you later. So, yeah, we, I guess we'll, we could talk about uh, – we already talked a bunch, a bunch about the, the Klingon stuff. So the other uh, – you know, there's a son, although it is sons and daughters. So the son, clearly Alexander, right? And he's in a difficult situation because his father is, you know, distant and, frankly, a bad father. and. Uh, but like the best Klingon ever. And he's obsessed with being a Klingon and Alexander, not so interested in being a Klingon apparently. Although now he is 
very confusing. But it, I like it's a I like that he's very polite though. Like you know they they're like <laughs> we saved this polite. seat for you, and he's like oh thanks you know thank <laughs> like, you very much <laughs> yeah. And they make fun of him for uh, for wanting like a root beer float, which I think is very uh, I'm like what, root beer floats are great. What's your complaint? Like well, that's one of the things in Deep Space Nine that one of the the human beverages that all the aliens beer, know about yeah. for some reason is root beer. <laughs> so they, make, they specifically make a joke about putting like ice cream in it or something. <laughs> I was like like do you think that Klingon is like secretly like always wanted to try a root beer float? And he's like just got to make fun of him. yeah that that sounds terrible ice cream and this root beer I really want to try this oh it's so good it's so good you're taking something good and adding something even better I know and you make yeah. something wonderful so there's, there's, uh, take that Klingon yeah you and your blood wine that's right you're you're gah. yeah. Uh, but on the, the, on Deep Space Nine, we have the, the daughter side of the equation, um, which is Ziel. And, uh, she's in a tough spot too, because her father's called Dukat. And yeah, tough spot for anyone whose father's called <laughs> Dukat. Sure. Difficult. Uh, and she's half Car- uh, Cardassian, half Bajoran. So that's, you know, gotta be difficult. Uh, mm-hmm. and they're on Deep Space Nine. And, uh, you know, her father is part of the Dominion. Also, you know, he subjugated the Bajorans for a while. <laughs> Details. Complicated. Details. But he's a loving father most of the time. <laughs> he Some is a of doting the time. father. Uh, when he is paying attention to her. And uh, she apparently was on Bajor because, you know, people were being mean to her. Um, and uh, then they were still being mean to her in Bajor. So she decided to come back to D Space Nine. She found out she's great. She's a great artist. Uh, maybe not great, but she's a good artist. Well, that was the other interesting thing uh, I thought to myself. Who is going to tell this girl <laughs> yeah, exactly. that she is bad? <laughs> yeah. her, her father is like a dictator. Uh, I feel like the Cardassian Institute of Art is going to be like, oh, yes, these are the best paintings we've ever seen. Give us all these paintings. <laughs> yes. So I thought that was – and they don't really explore that part except for – when she said, "Oh, I sent them off to the you know the right. Cardassian uh, art school," and Goldukat said, "Why don't you tell me? I could have inter- I had, could have had you basically. I could have forced the yeah. person in charge to meet with you. I could have introduced you face to face while I had him tied up in a torture <laughs> dungeon with thumbscrews." And she said, "I wanted to do it myself." And I thought to myself, "That guy." knows who you are. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You did not do it yourself. It's sad. It's kind of sad. But um, uh, yeah. Yeah, the, I, I did like um, my favorite bits in this episode are I, I've the the relationship between Kira and Dukat, which is mm. a thread throughout all of DS9, is mm. I think what's great. I mean, those two actors have such good chemistry um, that even though they are not friends, they kind of fall into that because it's like they have that great dynamic of like they were sworn enemies and they in some ways know each other better. Then mm-hmm. they, you know, then their friends know them because they fought against each other in the when Kira was in the resistance and Galdukat was the governor of Bajor. And so they have that sort of like intimate relationship. And also there's the whole like long running thing where like Galdukat's like infatuated with her. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it's just an interesting dynamic because Kira keeps finding herself slipping. There's a great scene in this episode where Galdukat has invited her to a party and sends her a dress. Um, and in my head, it made me think of the scene in um, uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark where mm. Belloc sends Marion like a dress to wear in the desert. Uh, and she eventually uses it sort of against him. But it has that sort of weird like 
would you ever do right like <laughs> a normal person i i love my wife dearly i would literally never do this <laughs> it, it just you know and and she is like taken in by it for a brief mm-hmm. moment of like well, oh it's a nice is, dress it's a nice dress sure and then yeah, she's horrified because she realizes what she's doing and, you know, she goes back and almost literally throws it in his face. Yes, um, she has a couple of great lines uh, when yes. it's like, oh, you don't like the dress. And she says, the dress is fine. I don't like you. Yes, I preferred, ah, uh, the busy life of an interstellar <laughs> despot. <laughs> that is uh, the line before that line in my notes because that is also a great line. Yep, fantastic and it's Because she cares a lot about uh, Ziel, right? And so mm-hmm. she... She gets into this kind of like, oh, look, Goldicott is just kind of this doting father and he wants to make her have a great life. And so and I want her to have a nice life as well. So uh, and she is she's lulled by Goldicott's charms until she remembers. Wait a second. Yeah, he's terrible. He's awful. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's interesting dynamic again, because if you again, you know, this is the serialized nature. But if you've watched the show and seen their relationship, like she is basically a surrogate mother to Zion. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least at the very least a mother figure. And so that scene where they're looking at her art, they're sitting on, basically they're sitting on the couch with her. And I have my, my thought is like, like divorced parents, right. Who have come together <laughs> to, to see their daughter. And like, cause they, they both love the daughter and mm-hmm. they want to support her, even though they don't like each other. And they have that brief moment of connection as they're talking, she gets up and leaves. Right. And they sort of scooch closer on the couch and have a, a connection together. Cause they have sort of forgotten themselves in that moment, or at least Kira has. And I thought it's just a wonderful bit of staging and and acting between those two because it really they they have a moment of sort of connection over it, and it's not until much later that you they the, the sort of the horror for that sets in for Kira. <laughs> yes, and I think you're you're right that the the dress is the whole dress sequence is brilliant because it is so Galdukat right. It's kind of creepy. It's nice yeah. to send someone a lovely dress, one assumes, although I'm with you, I would never do that even for my wife because uh, why would I do I don't Because the other, the undertone to that is, this is what I want you to wear. Right, exactly, exactly. Uh, which is, you know, not the greatest mes- message. Um, and then she doesn't want it, obviously, uh, and so she gives it back to <laughs> Golducott. And then Golducott, being a uh, opportunistic despot, uh, his his daughter comes out and says, "Oh, what's that?" And he's like, "Ah, it's a present for you." <laughs> Literally, and, regifts it thirty seconds yes. later. Amazing! It just like, and it is a great scene. And he's the thing about him is that he's not just opportunistic, opportunistic, but he's so conniving and mm-hmm. so much of a con man almost like that he sells it right like yeah, he totally believes even though he knows that he bought it for Kira, that he bought it for his daughter yep oh my god it's so weird it's so weird right like that's the thing like oh i bought this i bought this for this woman i have a crush on instead i'll give it to my daughter <laughs> well, that's no that's not a good move man no it's it's not great Goldukat is is no good uh but very entertaining to watch In, indeed that is true uh, and so, uh, thumbs up for Colicott. No, thumbs down. He's bad. It's, it's uh, conflicting. I feel like this episode doesn't really end so much as it kind of fizzles out. <laughs> and yeah, yeah. Goldicott, uh, is, uh, Kira tells, uh, Zael, Zael that, you know, she's not going to hang out with Goldicott anymore. And, uh, Zael says, well, I love my father, so I can't, if you're making me choose, I'm going to choose, uh, you know, 
him and she walks away. Well, uh, yeah. And, I mean, Akira, Akira says her whole point is she won't make her choose. She won't ask her to choose, right? Because she knows that she has right. to choose her father. That's what everybody uh, said. And that's even yeah. worse. Yeah, exactly. I so, mean, it's it's better as a person, but it's but, worse to go through. <laughs> yeah. And I, I mean, it is a thread that's sort of left hanging because it gets, you know, played upon later in the series yes. as well. Um, I'm but, sure that Zayel is going to have a long, <laughs> illustrious career as an artist. Yep, going to go great. Um, <laughs> but it is, yeah, it is the one, the, one of the downsides of that is it's more of like a little sort of chapter in a story rather than a full mm-hmm. full story in and of itself. And I mean, it doesn't get terribly a lot of screen time in this episode since we are mostly <laughs> concerned with yeah, the Klingons. Very much the B plot, but I uh, I just like Goldukat so much, and Kira is so Goldukat and Kira are probably two of my favorite characters from Deep Space Nine, uh, and so and as you said, their relationship is just so interesting. Uh, she's such a strong character. He's a strong evil character. It's wonderful. But he's so good to watch. I mean, like I don't like villains usually, but I think he's mm-hmm. one of my favorite villains of all time because he's complex and interesting and. Mm-hmm. And, you know, sometimes acts in a way that villains act, but a lot of times is just a person. Just trying to help. <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, he's he's a fully realized character. Like, he's just mm-hmm. so three-dimensional and interesting and flawed and terrible uh, that it's what makes him just electrifying to watch. And Mark Alemo is just a great actor. I mean, he does not get... I feel like, you know, a lot of people in sci-fi shows, especially when especially when you're under all the makeup, right? Like a lot mm-hmm. of times people get sort of short shrift for their performances. And you think about like like people like him and Doug Jones who have to go sit in a makeup chair for probably like, you know, six hours, you know, getting all their stuff glued on and still do a, an amazing job of like producing these captivating performances. Mm-hmm. And I think to me, that's a testament even more like... You know, Mark Alamo, I don't literally couldn't point to a single thing that I've seen him in outside of DS9. Uh, and it doesn't matter because he spent seven years embodying this character and he's fantastic. He is. Uh, and uh, I also enjoy that little scene where he's uh, given the Bajorans industrial replicators. Cause, <laughs> he's uh, magnanimous. Bajor always needs replicators. Uh, yep. <laughs> I don't understand why. You feel like you get one replicator, you, just make the you rest can replicate it. more replicators. <laughs> But it's probably some patent thing or IP thing that prevents you from I, doing I that. I guess. I think it was uh, there. Uh, no, well, people who are listening to this probably care. Uh, I think there's an episode where they're not part of the Federation and they're still not part of the Federation. So the Federation just won't give them replicators. So mm-hmm. they have to, so they probably have hobbled the replicators so they can't make their own replicators. I don't know. Bajors, it's complicated. Yeah, always. <laughs> So yeah, that's that's uh, Deep Space Nine. Uh, we've probably talked about a little bit about General Martok because he's oh, uh, a General pretty Martok. big character. He's stomping around his uh, bird of prey, uh, growling at people. <laughs> I enjoy Martok. He's 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 one of my favorite Klingons. If I had to pick favorite Klingons, it's him and it's probably Gowron because <laughs> mm, well, the, the crazy eyes. Yeah, the crazy eyes. Um, I, I enjoy Martok because he feels like a Klingon. Again, he's a Klingon that we spent some time with. Mm-hmm. Um, he has sort of a complex life, but he's also a larger than life character and he's sympathetic, right? Like he's not, he's, even though he embodies those Klingon virtues, I feel like he also feels less stereotypical than a lot of the Klingons. Cause like he sits down with Worf and has like a heart to heart a couple times here. And and his relationship with Worf is really nice and like fleshed out and, it goes beyond sort of the the very uh, two-dimensional Klingon portrayals that we saw a lot of times, I feel like, in TNG especially. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, I, I enjoy him quite a bit. And I think 
again, I've forgotten all the plot developments with him. Although I do remember that he he is he's like a changeling at some point, right? Like, yes, yeah, he is. Uh, and I, I like him too because he is kind of uh, well, he's old for Klingon, right? Mm. And so he he uh, just kind of radiates this kind of world weariness, but yet still getting excited about going into battle. Um, and and I think this episode is a good example of that. I, he says at the beginning, "War is much more fun when you're winning." Right. Yeah. <laughs> Which I think we'd all yeah, agree I, with. <laughs> I think yes, that that is good. And you know, he's kind of he's in charge of he's a general, but he's in charge of like this relatively small ship, and they're making him go guard convoys. Uh, it seems like maybe he's he's not on on the you know the the brightest side of his career at this point mm-hmm. he still wants to do a good job and i think his biggest job is uh you know seeing himself as a mentor to Worf, uh and saying you know hey you you know we have there's the great scene where they're talking and he's like you and i have done a lot of things Worf. We've, we've known each other for a long time i uh took you into my house uh not oh probably literally but also figuratively um and, you know, we've had many battles, we've drank much uh, blood wine, and I did not know you had a son. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, awkward. <laughs> yeah. You feel like that's the kind of thing that maybe you bring up. I mean, like, isn't there, there's a thing pretty early on with Martok, uh, I say, because that, that episode we did watch not that long ago, where, isn't it his son, like, kind of a jerk, I feel like, when they first meet? So. Yeah. And so... You know, again, you feel like maybe that comes up when you're sitting around and like <laughs> eating lunch at the mess hall. Like, oh, my son did this the other day. It was so annoying. And you're like, I have no son, right? Like, is that, we, is that how he's playing it? Or is he just sitting there quietly eating his gach? <laughs> well, you know, I get a, you know, I like Worf as a character. Yeah, um, no, I like Worf. And, but you feel like, and one of the things I wrote down in my notes is Worf isn't great with people. No. Uh, and so he, I feel like he's not very open with uh, his life in general. He's just kind of there. He wants to do his job. Uh, and he, you get the feeling and we've all met these kinds of people. And perhaps we, some of us are these kinds of people that you actively work against making friends with people <laughs> for whatever reason. Right. And I feel like Worf is one of those people who's like, uh, we have a job to do. Uh, let's just keep it professional. Uh, you don't, we don't need to know the details of our personal lives. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Sort of very much keep to himself. And mm-hmm. he's also, I mean, I don't want to say he's ashamed because I think that's too strong, but he's something he struggled with, right? Like mm-hmm. is his role, not only as a father, but the fact that his son is what, three quarters Klingon, Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and I think he's, he's sheltered him. Right. And like, there's stuff that he alludes to in this episode. And it's been a long time since I've seen the TNG episodes with Alexander, but I do remember that always being a sort of one of the themes with Alexander is like, not, doesn't really feel particularly Klingon and doesn't really want to be a warrior. Um, you know, I can't remember what he's, he's, he's into something else. I can't remember what it is. Like science books i don't remember <laughs> something not klingon yeah something very non klingon and so uh, you know it's interesting to see how that develops and i think you know there there's some nuance there which is nice because it kind of goes back to what we were talking before about like seems like klingon society should need more than just warriors in order to function and there shouldn't mm-hmm. be any shame in that uh but that's only like the only slice of klingon life we generally see so that's kind of a problem <laughs> It's true. And it's interesting. So Worf is an interesting character. He's one of these characters, much like Spock, right? That you are an outsider 
and trying to make up for it by being the you know the the prototypical version right. of whatever your society is and so Worf is you know for various complicated family reasons an outsider in in the Klingon world and uh he's a federation officer he's not a Klingon warrior but he is a Klingon warrior at heart and so he is super into Klingon culture making sure that he does all the Klingon things uh he's on a Klingon ship now he's still wearing his federation uniform or his starfleet uniform but he is you know the the most Klingon person on that vessel. Right. Uh, and Alexander is kind of like, eh, no, thank you. <laughs> but a yeah, little bit. <laughs> he's trying to do it, right? Like, that's the thing, right? Like he's, he's trying to make a go of it for reasons, again, that we don't entirely understand. Like he, you know, Martok challenges him at one point and is like, why are you here? And he's like, ah, I serve the empire. And he's like, no, 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 that's clearly a lie. <laughs> but, <laughs> And it, it doesn't really get a good answer out of it, I think. I think the implication is essentially he's there to prove himself to his father. Uh, yeah. But, you know, I, again, I think that goes back to our... I, I'll have to headcanon this and think that he must have, like, bribed his way onto this ship or something. He like, Yeah, because otherwise, I'm going to prove myself to my father being on some other ship in the <laughs> war and probably dying. Dying, yes. Uh, that'll, that'll show him. Although, in Klingon society, it probably would be make Worf happy that his son That's died true. in battle uh which is weird uh yes i'm judging klingon society don't uh, don't send me emails uh so the thing that i find interesting though is that so Worf is a lovely character and he's obviously very loving to to dax and he's a good friend to everybody uh very bad father uh but also he is not, I would imagine, the most open-minded of characters. And so mm. he sees a path. He sees one path to success that everyone should follow. And certainly his son should follow because he's a Klingon. Uh, and so the way that you are successful as a Klingon is by being the best warrior on the ship, right? And being – and so they have the scene where, you know, Alexander says, I don't expect special treatment. And uh, Worf says – Everything I expect of everyone else on this ship, I expect double for you. Uh, so don't screw it up. Um, spoiler alert. Alexander screws everything up. Uh, uh, but Alexander uh, is is clearly trying to fit in with the crew and not really knowing how to do it. Uh, and by the end, he does fit in by kind of owning the fact that he's not the best Klingon. He's a screw up, yeah. <laughs> he's a screw up. And uh, he forgets to, you know, end the simulation on his sensors and uh, locks himself in a tool closet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Oh, no, Alexander, no. Um, yeah, I, you know, he, he tries a couple times, right? He's got that scene in the dining hall where mm -hmm. he, like, starts a food fight. Um, yes. which escalates quickly to a knife fight, which he is unprepared for. <laughs> like, no, this, this got too real too yeah, quickly. I, this is just like a, like a romping thing we used to do back on earth where we'd have a food fight in the cap. Oh God, I'm being stabbed. Um, yeah, I, he, you know, he makes a go of it, right? He cuts that one mm -hmm. guy and then yeah. he's quickly in over his head and Worf bails him out, which, you know, mm -hmm. to his point, I think, you know, he's not wrong that Worf probably shouldn't have intervened there. I mean, that sure. said, it is also a military ship, so I guess you know he, Worf tries to sort of be even-handed about it, but you know uh, somebody mm, gives him a hard time for like, oh, you're gonna fight the Jem'Hadar for him too, which is like, <laughs> no, it's fair. I mean, <laughs> you're me in trouble. Uh, I thought the simulator thing, man, like it's not even. I was hoping he'd turn out to be like really good at computers or something. <laughs> <laughs> no, but nope, he's not good at those either. Nope. Uh, 
about the only thing he does is like he does volunteer to go and like fix that leak in the impulse engine, which is a mm-hmm. like I gather, you know, if not like a suicide mission exactly, is like actively putting yourself in harm's way. It's a dangerous thing. Yeah. So he doesn't shy away from that. So he's got courage. Uh, and even that's if where he's I, th- I thought this episode was leading up to because I forgot uh, a that Alexander from the future visited Enterprise uh, and. Uh, B that Alexander's in a couple of episodes after this one. So yeah. clearly he doesn't die. But they totally wrote it to make you think that he dies uh saving the ship, right? And so Worf runs after the the battle, Worf runs down to see what's going on, right? And uh Worf uh sees the the one Klingon that went with Alexander. Uh, and you think, oh, no, well, there you go. Alexander's dead. He has bravely sacrificed himself to save this other Klingon. Uh, but the other Klingon is like, no, we fixed the problem. Uh, he locked himself in this closet. <laughs> yeah. Oh, boy. But and then they, just have, think, like, oh, they chuckle about Alexander. it, right? Like, they, have a, they all have a chuckle about it. And it's like, well, you know, every Klingon ship needs its class clown, I guess. Uh, <laughs> and and Alexander, yeah, he chuckles about it, too. So I, I guess it's okay. It's really unclear because earlier on when he kind of laughs at it, like, you know, they're like, oh, you keep us on our toes with the battle simulation. And, and Worf's all like, yes, they've accepted mm. him as their fool. <laughs> and you're like, Worf, come on. Well, like, <laughs> I mean, accurate, but still. Yeah, but lighten the mood. I mean, <laughs> at least he's good at something. Um yeah, I I don't know. It's it's kind of a weird uh, way that it plays out there. I think it's mainly done just to give uh, put Alexander and Worf back in contact and give a little drama to that along the way. Um, I will say, I think the scene to me that resonated the most with Worf and Alexander is the scene where he tries to actually teach him the mm-hmm. you know how to use the botleth, um, mm-hmm. and so he won't die. Basically, the first time he has to fight a Jem'Hadar, and it resonates in some ways because it reminded me of like my dad teaching me to drive <laughs> where it's very much like, Nope, Nope, that's not it. And you're like, it, and I remember being so irritated at the time and being like, Oh, I can't do anything right. You know? And I, I think there's definitely a nice, a nicely captured moment in there of the sort of fathers and sons relationship and how it's always, you know, struggling when the kids are, are getting to an age where they are sort of becoming their own people uh, mm-hmm. and yet you're still trying to protect them and teach them things and they just do not want to hear it. Uh, and it's, it's a little bizarre, you know, it is the, <laughs> they mentioned this in a bunch of the memory alpha pages about this. And it's also one of the things that always puzzled me is like, how does he age? No one really understands how Klingons <laughs> age because he's like eight at this point. <laughs> uh, it's very confusing. Yeah. Uh, and I think the implication is he's supposed to be like kind of in his mid to late teens. Um, I- human human age equivalent wise because they they were saying in the interviews that i was reading where they're like we're worried that if we made him too young Worf would just look like an abusive parent (laughs) instead of just sort of a harsh unyielding parent is like "Ah, i guess you just skirted that side of the line he does still kind of he doesn't doesn't come out of this one but he's not well yeah yeah uh, yeah. which is, but it ends with, I guess, it's nice that Alexander is kind of accepted his role and is has has a home in this this place. And Worf, begrudgingly, although I still think Worf is probably like, oh, he's a fool. <laughs> uh, uh, but uh, at the beginning, Alexander's like, I have no house, I have no father. Uh, and at the end, Martok is like, Welcome to my house, and here is your father. <laughs> right? Yeah. And so I that's mean- nice. Yeah, it is nice. It's nice that he has a place to to belong. Um, and I think, 
you know, there is an element there where Alexander kind of plays the, I don't know if it's quite the pity card, right? But he's like, well, then I die and you'd finally be happy because you'd be rid of me. And I feel like that's the moment where Worf should have been like, no, I don't want you to die. Like, <laughs> I'm your dad. Like, you know, and, and like I that's. I want you to be safe. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's the part where I think it comes to, you know, some of this is internalized, right? I don't think they explicitly make it like super explicit in dialogue, I, which is good. I, I, I appreciate times where they don't have to spell everything out. But I think that is sort of the moment where Worf starts to realize like, oh, um, yeah, I am not being great at this. <laughs> and, you know, they, they sort of have a throwaway line at the end. Throwaway is not throwaway. the right. The sort of like, um, you know, illuminated line at the end is the like, I'll teach you about being a Klingon and you'll mm. teach me about being a dad. And then the oh. music plays and they like the after school special ends. And um, I, was gonna, I was like, Alexander doesn't know how to be a dad either. Yeah. So <laughs> exactly. I think putting your emotional labor on your child to teach you how to be a better parent is still a little rough, but it's mm-hmm. like, he's trying, he's trying. He is trying. And I will say, so I've been rough on Worf because Worf is a bad dad. Uh, it's true. But he, the, the, I think the crux of this Worf's problem as a father is uh, that he doesn't think he's good enough to be a father and he doesn't know what to do. And so he thinks for Alexander's own good, I will send him to my – the people I know who are loving and can raise a Klingon, unlike me, uh, which is my adoptive parents. So uh, it doesn't really explain why he hasn't talked to him in five years. Yeah, that's uh, but then weird. when he shows up, Worf basically is like, I don't really think you want to be a warrior and you really shouldn't be here. So maybe you should leave, uh, which is not, you know, you know, to what you said earlier, Dan, like sometimes your parents actually do know what you want. And then when they tell you that it just makes you outraged. <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> and so then you do the exact opposite, even though you don't really want to do it. Yep. Uh, and so I feel like that's kind of the d- dynamic that's happening. Like Worf is like, I know you don't want to be here. So why don't you just let me transfer you to like a safer thing or send you back to earth. And Alexander's like, you don't understand me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and that's totally, I agree. It's totally the experience, right? Like, I mean, we've all been there. I think we, we've all had interchange with parents where it's like, and especially, you know, I know you are a parent. I'm not, but even the older I get, and like looking back at like things that I do that age or seeing like, uh, you know, my cousin's kids or like stuff like that. And you're like, oh, man, I remember what that was like. Mm-hmm. I remember how I thought nobody over the age of 20 knew anything. And now I think nobody under the age of 20 knows anything. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, the cliche that I am now living through where you think, well, I'm not going to do like I'm not going to yell at my kids like my parents yelled at me. Uh, and uh, I, I yell at my kids because they're bad. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> they're not bad. They do bad things. Uh, <laughs> well, you know, it happens. It does happen. They're, they're very tiny little people, so they don't, they're figuring it all out. But, uh, you know, you, you think I'm not going to do the things that my parents did because I am enlightened and understanding and I'm cool. <laughs> yep. <laughs> and, right. Yep. Uh, you're not any of those things. <laughs> that's true. I knew, I mean, I know that going in, so that's good. <laughs> but it's just, it's weird how, uh, you know, you're, you're, perspective shifts with both age and uh context right so uh, and i think that that this episode i don't know if i would say this episode was good it has some good things in it it's doing uh, a lot of uh i don't want to say hand holding but like it's doing a lot of stuff to get from point a to point b and i don't think it's uh unequivocally a success because it, it does suffer from that like sort of middle chapteritis 
yeah. of being in the middle of an arc. Um, but it's it's some nice character beats, I guess what I would yes. say. It's like, I don't think it's a bad episode by any means, no. but it kind of, I don't think it stood out in either of our memories, though we've both seen it before, <laughs> because it's not really that important in the grand scheme of things. It's exactly. a, it's a, it's connective tissue. Yes, and according to Memory Alpha, it is the fifth of eight episodes uh, of the Dominion Invasion arc. So uh, it's kind of in the middle. This It really feels like the fifth of an eight-episode arc. Right, right, because it's like the, nothing actually happens with the larger plot in the mm-hmm. invasion or the war. Like, there's a lot of moving pieces, but it really is just sort of a, like a almost like a slice of life from the war, where it's like, ah... You probably wonder what it was like to be on a Klingon ship during the Dominion invasion <laughs> or like what were things like with Kira for this few months? Here you go. Here's a chapter out of that. Here's the answer. Yeah. And, it, and like I said, it just kind of ends with, you know, well, I guess Alexander um, kind of repairing his relationship with his father and joining the house of Martok is a big thing, but um, and there's a, you know, the ceremony where he cuts his hand and I was kind of waiting for them to make him like yell out or something when he cuts his hand, but they don't do that, which is no, good. He's, he's tough. <laughs> he's tough in that. Well, I thought, and I, I had that moment of, again, not remembering where it ends. He's like, oh, this is a serious thing. And like, it's really important that you do it right, et cetera. And, and I thought it was going to be a callback to the beginning of the episode where, you know, he's talking to Dax about their wedding, uh, and about the importance of the rituals of the wedding. And I thought he was going to make alexander his like you know whatever the klingon equivalent of a best man is or something mm-hmm. <laughs> where he's like oh i need you to represent me and be my clock you know like uh but no it just makes him part of the house which is fine yeah. nothing wrong they cut with all it. their hands and uh god it's so unsanitary <laughs> it is. and then i guess uh extinguish a candle with their blood is that what happens and he throws the martok throws the symbol of his house in there and then they fish it out i don't know oh, klingons are weird i think sometimes they're just punking him <laughs> <laughs> it is true. But one consistent thing with Klingons, they love having an open flame on their mm, starships. That's true. That's true. It's uh, safety codes. Mm, it's up there with the Klingon resources department. They really do not pay a lot of attention to it. No. I mean, no uh, there is no honor in uh, incandescent bulbs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You don't see like a Klingon is picking up those little like tea candles and flicking the switch on the bottom and then putting them back down again. No, it's not. No, no, that's not. Kalos does not approve. <laughs> he does not. But you know what Kalez does approve of, Dan? Having you as a guest on a Random Trek because it was a lovely conversation. So thank you for joining me. Thank you. And thanks, Kalez. <laughs> He's cool like that. <laughs>